circle. If you take your bulletin this morning and open it up on the inside, you'll see in the note-taking section that that circle's there for you. One of the things that I thought would be interesting to do is kind of for you to do a self-evaluation and just take that circle and ask yourself, how far have you gotten in cooperating with the Holy Spirit in each of these areas? Which ones are your strengths? Which ones do you do really well at? Which ones are tougher? Which ones uh, consistently is a dialogue between you and the Lord? Like, you know, I need you to step this way and lean into that one. And ah, rats and, you know, kind of thing. And I think if you take a look at that, it becomes pretty clear where uh, your prayer life can go and where you can uh, talk to the Lord. And we're going to talk a little bit about that process this morning and the impact that the Word has on uh, how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in expanding the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So let's pray this morning, and we'll seek the Lord. Father, when we come on Sunday morning, it's to honor you. And that means it's about you, not about us. It means that you have an agenda, you have a purpose, and we stand here this morning saying that agenda and purpose is good. And we look back and we know that although all we have, not, all we have gone through in life has not been good, all that you have purposed for us has been good. And we have seen you bring amazing things out of calamity and suffering and loss and that your grace and gospel has gone further because of it. And we've seen people handle uh, adversity in amazing ways because of your spirit. And Lord, that's uh, not a one-time process. That's an ongoing event. We're going to talk about that this morning. And I would like to ask the favor of you underlining and italicizing um, whatever's important for us as we listen uh, individually, as we listen as a couple, as we listen as a family, um, what that looks like for us. And so we seek you this morning and ask this in your name. Amen. One of the things about if you look at that circle again, and by the way, if you weren't here last week and don't know what that circle is about, you can download the message from last week off the website and get it. But uh, we sang that, that song this morning, I'm Free. Okay? And that's a tricky song, right? Because if you're really doing well with the Lord and you're cleaning your spirit, that's a great song to sing. If you just got saved, that's a kicking song, right? But if you are struggling with stuff and it's not that clear, that's kind of, you know, I am free, you know, kind of thing. And so uh, one of the things that you find out is as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, particularly in one of these areas that has been a struggle for you, you will find out that you will experience freedom on a level you hadn't thought of before. Uh, and it can be in your emotions, it can be in your spirit, it can be in your will, it can be in your thoughts. It can be a number of different levels. But you will know it when you experience it um, as you cooperate. And those of us who've had that uh, experience over numerous times can just verify that. So uh, this morning we're talking about bearing fruit and the next two messages are going to be on the Word, the Bible, and the living Word, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, uh, bearing fruit together in our lives because it ties to everything we've talked about. And so uh, this verse in Colossians is a great one. It says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. So Paul's talking about already as he's gone on his missionary journeys and as he has traveled throughout Asia and Europe, that already the gospel is starting to burst out and bear fruit, and people are coming to Christ. And it's bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. So in the Colossians church, there was a time when Paul came 
and he spoke to it, and they saw it happen among them. It wasn't just words, it wasn't just theology, it wasn't just a good idea. They saw God break out among them. They saw themselves get saved. They saw people around them uh, respond to the gospel. They saw uh, what the Lord would do, and they, they started to get Paul's letters, and they started to go, okay, this is how we take the next step. And we have to understand that the goal or the mission of the gospel is that it would bear fruit. Just like um, apple trees produce apples and grapevines produce grapes, it is in the uh, nature, it's in the DNA, it's in the nucleus of the gospel to bear fruit. Right? That's why I think it's imperative that we grow as a church. That's why we've been talking about filling the empty seats. That's why we've been talking about sharing and reaching out to our friends because it's the nature of the gospel to bear fruit. Just think if someone hadn't reached out to you. Just think if they had never shared. Just think if they had never taken the time or the risk or the, you know, the adrenaline hit to share with you. What would have happened? What would it have been like? There's two major ways that the gospel bears fruit. First is to make a person changed by it more and more into the image of Christ. And we're going to talk about that uh, this morning. The second is to have a person changed by Jesus share that change with other people so they too become changed, right? The idea there is if God has passed life on to me, then my goal is to pass that life on to someone else. And that, by, again, by nature is the definition. So as I said, this week we're going to focus on part one. Uh, to make the person changed by the gospel more and more into the image of Christ. And then next week, we'll go after the, the sharing part. So as we start and look at this this morning, part of what I want us to understand is that God has sown his word. All right? Now, normally when we think of that, we think of the Bible. And we're going to talk about that as well. But I want you to think in two categories. Number one, he's sown his word. And that has gotten collected and written down in what we know as the Bible. But secondly, he has also sown his word through his spirit. And those two work in tandem and harmony together to get the attention of us and to get the attention of people. God says this, says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, or the old word was void. It will not return to me void. But will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What's behind the Bible and what's behind the Holy Spirit is God's purpose. His purpose is to find lost people. His purpose is to find people who don't know them, know Him, and bring them into fellowship with Him. And to bring them into a relationship with him. And so his whole stated goal of the word is that it would go out and that it would not come back to him empty. And so God works hard at doing that. Now the illustration he uses here is that of water. It says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and obviously snow is just, you know, cool water, right? Um, and do not return it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eaters. So is my word. And this illustration of water is used a lot. Remember the woman at the well in the Gospel of John? And he said, you know, if you would have known who was talking to you, he would have given you, what? Living water, right? It's this living water that 
the word is talking about. Uh, water is often used in Scripture. It's a sign of God's blessing. Uh, it's a sign of God's cleansing. Uh, it's a picture of movement and the work of the Holy Spirit. And here the nature and the purpose of the word of life come, comes from God. His literal words spoken by His Holy Spirit into our hearts and also revealed and illuminated in the written word of God. That happens to us all the time. If you're in the Bible and you're reading, you ever have one of those verses just jump off the page? Like, we're... Wow, I've read that dozens of times. How did I never see this? Uh, we were sitting around a table at the annual meeting um, this weekend uh, for our conference, and uh, four of us, all pastors, were talking about verses that had jumped off the page in the last week that we had never really seen that way. And it was funny because one guy said, you know, I had this verse jump out, like... I know I've read that hundreds of times. It just came to life for me and, and it just triggered around the table. That's a common experience. God illuminates or brings uh, the word to life. So God's set purpose, the desire of his heart, is that his word will go out and will not come back empty, void, or barren. That it will produce life. Now, how does it, has it gone out through history? Well, let's look at the Bible first, all right? Um, I've got to get it caught up here. Where am I? Oops, I went too far. There we go. Okay, there we go. Um, I looked up just how many Bibles have been published, all right, uh, through history. So if you look up here on the screen, um, this is from the Bible study site, from 1816 to 1975, all right, which is a fair, fair spread, 2.45 billion Bibles were printed. Billion, not billions. Not New York seller timeless, billion, all right? By 1992, so from 1975 to 1992, that number became 6 billion. By 2007, that number became 7.5 billion Bibles were printed. Now, obviously 207 is old, all right? If you go from 207 to 2013, I couldn't find what had been printed uh, during that time period probably because I'm not a very good Google researcher, right? Others, you might be better. So if you want to task, find out how many that is. Uh, also, Zach put in my notes, this does not include computer sites and downloads, right? Which, of course, now is a whole uh, new ball game that, uh, you know, a lot of times now people don't even have a Bible, right? You have your phone and you got your Bible app and out you go, bing, right? So we're talking about um, an amazing amount of bibles published i would like to suggest that's a lot of seed that's been sown if you think the bible's being carried all over the planet there are more than one bible per person uh on the planet right and um it's estimated that more bibles have been printed than all other books combined okay more bibles have been printed than all other books combined so it is the number one printed book in the history of History of the world. Now, let's call that a little bit um, down to the top 100 books of all history, all right? And if you go on websites and look at the top, even top 10 books, there's controversy over what are the top 10 books or what are the top 100 books, but you can find lists of them. Um, if, you're, if you were going to read that list, if you were going to read the list of the top 100 books ever printed in the history of the world, and that would probably include, you know, books like Shakespeare and all the different ones that we know, uh, Homer and the Iliad and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
If you were to look at that, if you were going to read, how would you read that list? Would you start with 100 and read your way up to 1? Or would you start with 1 and read your way down to 100? Wouldn't it make more sense, knowing life is short, start with the best and work your way down? Right? And yet, what I want to do here is kind of set up a spiritual app in your mind. All right? I don't know how to load apps, so you guys can figure that out. But um, download this question. How can the Word of God change us, bear fruit in our lives if we never read it? All right? There's a lot of homes that have a Bible, and it's on the shelf, and it's got dust on it, right? And it's, a, it's treated as one of the uh, knickknacks or relics or uh, decoration uh, of the house. But the Word of God was never meant to be a knickknack or a relic um, or a decoration. See, for being the most printed book in all history, it's often also the most unread book in all of history. And I have been shocked as I've gone through my years in the Christian life of finding out uh, how many people haven't read the Word of God, haven't uh, spent any time in it. Um, just not for guilt's sake, but just for us as a group of people. Let's, let's just take a look. How many of us in here have read all the way through from uh, the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi? How many of us have read all the way through? Well, that's pretty good turnout. Awesome, guys. How many of us read all the way through the New Testament? Okay, Matthew to Revelation. Look around the room. A lot of us have. Okay, Awesome. How many of us have memorized a chapter of Scripture? Okay. How many could repeat it back right now? <laughs> I can't either. I, I, I have Romans 6, Romans 8, Romans 12, Roman, uh, 1st, 2nd Peter memorized, and I tried to dredge one up, so I say I couldn't. I got halfway through, I think it was 1st Peter 1, and I couldn't get it. So, But the idea there is you can see that um, there's a lot of engagement with the Word, and if you find life in our church, and you've, if you've just walked in and you find a lot of life, there's a lot of life probably for a reason. That's because we're engaging with the Word. It's changed us. We've read it. It's shaped us. It's uh, coloring how we react to things. Uh, and Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I, I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Anybody in here that God's been merciful to? right? A lot of us. I I beseech you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And how do you yield your body? Well, your mind tells your body what to do. And then it says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does the Bible really do? What it really does is it gets me to think differently about my situations and circumstances in life. It's amazing how you can look at a certain thing and really be grinding on it, really be, right? Ah, just have that kind of thing in life, right? And then you read the Bible and it says, well, you shouldn't, and you go, oh, oh, I gotta, I gotta see that differently, right? And you see offenses differently and you see tithing differently and you see relationships differently and you see marriage differently and you see prayer differently and you see quiet times differently and you, you see the loss differently. You see all kinds of things differently. One of the most resistant places where we change last is seeing ourselves differently. Okay? And I, I have kind of a built-in thing that works for me really well because we often go home to Wisconsin and uh, it's interesting that when I go home to Wisconsin, 
Uh, and both my wife and I marvel at this. Uh, the kids don't pick up on it so much, but both Pam and I just marvel at this. I'm the Steve from 35 years ago. I've not changed or grown in their eyes. I'm locked and frozen into Steve who was back there. And it takes me about a week or two, and I want to get back here really quick. Because I, I like the Steve now than the Steve from 35 years ago a lot better. And, and so um, I realize how much the Word has changed me, how much, how different I am. And, uh, and I find it very difficult to communicate to my family what I actually do. Um, I, you know, it's just, it's just I, I don't know if you have that battle, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough thing. But I find how much I've changed. I don't think the way they think anymore. And I don't have conversations the way they have conversations anymore. And um, it really is, it, that's kind of a startling thing. And uh, it's helpful for me because it tells me I've actually changed, which is good news. Why is the Bible so important? Because it lets us see how God thinks. All right? It gives us, it, it doesn't tell us everything about God. There are many things uh, that we don't know about God, and there's many things you probably have questions for, right? Have you ever said, boy, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this, right? And we probably all have questions. Uh, he doesn't seem really too perturbed to try and answer that right now. But when you look at the Bible, what it really tells us, number one, who he is, what kind of person he is, his character, and then how he thinks about things. And he expects us to change up the line. And as we think like him, then that starts to bear fruit. Okay? It's as we line up with him, as we get in line with his thinking, then our thinking starts to bear fruit. Uh, you probably have experienced this, with, yeah, uh, though many of us would know what it's like to get stuck on a bad track, right, in your head. You ever have just a track you run on, you just tell yourself, that is just not a good place to be. I shouldn't think that way. Anybody know what that works like, right? It can be almost over anything, but uh, for many of us, we have a persistent track that either tells us we're crummy and no good or bad or worthless or never going to do anything good. And it's interesting, when you get to the Word of God, He doesn't talk about you like that. Okay? He doesn't talk to you, and He doesn't um, beat you up. He says, you know what? If, if you just follow me and think like this, this would be, you'd see how I see you. And we go, well, uh, well, sure, okay. You know, for example, the idea that God loves you, okay? Well, yeah, he, he loves me because he has to love me because he's God. The real question on the table is, does he like me, right? Because I may have to love a lot of people. That doesn't necessarily mean I like them. Think about that once. There's a lot of truth in that. And the real question comes down to, does God like me? And what I mean by like me, and when I'm saying God loves us, and does he like me? Does he just put up with it? Does he just put up with you? Or does he like you? Did he find you for a reason? Did he go out of his way because there was something about you he really enjoyed? And he wants to engage with you on that, and he wants to have a dialogue like a father and a son or a father and a daughter. And uh, because he enjoys you. You know, that, a lot of times, that's a significant change in thinking, isn't it? And the Bible relentlessly pushes you towards that. How many of you have tried to hold on to your negative thoughts and the Holy Spirit just keeps pushing you towards that, right? Just keeps, and you're going, no, 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 I'm like this. No, we're going to get over here. 
and you are like this. No, 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 no. Right? You ever felt that? Am I the only one? Really? You're looking awfully sanctified and saintly out there. Like, gee, Mitch, no clue what you're talking about. Nice try. Okay? It's that, that change, that grace that gets us moving and gets us thinking. Okay. Uh, but the Bible transforms us. We transform when we take time to focus on what God has to say. The most startling illustration for me was when I became the youth pastor at North Shore Baptist Church. I inherited a youth group that uh, the first night I showed up, there were 58 kids. Two weeks later, there were five. And they basically had run out 16 youth sponsors in 12 months. It's a lovely group. And, uh, And they said to me, we will run you out too. They had never quite run into somebody like me, so that didn't really work. We'll avoid all the details of that story. But, um, but what was interesting is I didn't really know much about the Christian life, but I knew this. I knew Jesus, and I knew his word. Because I'd read through it twice in six months. I was freaked out of my gourd, and I thought, anybody else would read it, they'd change too, and they'd be freaked out of their gourd, so let's read the word. And so I took that rebellious group, and these are many of them were junior hires. And you're not supposed to do this with junior hires, but I did anyways because I didn't know any better because I thought junior hires could walk with God too. By the way, we believe that here right now, today, as your gang is up there. And, uh, and so th- the first year we had a discipleship course and we read through the Bible, junior hires. And here's what we did for youth group. We got the Bible, they sat down, we read a chapter. I said, okay, two things in the chapter. What stands out to you and what question do you have? And they would start talking in the group, and then I would talk, and we went through the entire Bible like that, and that group transformed because they thought they knew all about God, and they thought they knew all about the Christian life, and the truth is they'd never been in the Word themselves. And church was boring and dull and icky and, you know, let's get some real life going here. But once they got in the Word, it changed the way they saw the whole world. And that's what caused the explosion of the youth group back there. And it was just such a wonderful thing to be a part of. Um, It was uh, um, amazing. You know, the Bible's under tremendous attack these days. I'm sure you've become aware of that. I'm sure you have uh, run into that. The current line of reasoning is that the Bible got it wrong about shellfish. The Bible got it wrong about slavery. The Bible got it wrong about sexuality. The Bible got it wrong about woman. Um, it doesn't take too long to realize where that line of reasoning is going. The rationale is if all that is true, then the Bible also got it wrong about Jesus, right? And therefore, the Bible doesn't have anything to say to our lives because we're modern people. We're, after all, 2013 and way more enlightened than any generation that's ever lived on the face of the earth. Amen, hallelujah, underline it, boom, right? We are beautiful people, smart people, intelligent. We are college-educated. And therefore, we are above the authority and the rule of what's laid out in the Bible. Uh, they will go on to say he never claimed to be God. Somebody wrote a good script for him. And according to this line of thinking, and um, if you follow it out, Jesus' mission uh, to seek and save that which lost is also ridiculous. The concept of being lost is uh, really not a, 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 a real term in our culture anymore. If you go up to somebody and say, hey, are you lost? They'll pull out their GPS. No. I know exactly where I am. Okay? Uh, my kids in the car ask me, Dad, where are we? Right here. Right? <laughs> Smart aleck, Dad. 
But isn't that kind of the attitude of our culture, right? There's nothing beyond me and I don't, I'm not lost. And so that, that whole term of being lost, there are no lost people really. So there's no need for the gospel. Therefore, there's no need for Jesus. Therefore, there's no need for the word. Right? You get the train of thinking on that? And the Bible will not let you get away with that. Uh, read the papers, watch the news, get on the internet. If there are no lost people, then what is all the loss and the carnage and the destruction we see going on around us? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out there is something desperately, totally wrong with our culture right now. And we feel the pain of it. And therefore, we have to stay in the Word so we can line up because Jesus is still looking for lost people. Jesus is the resurrected Savior. There are lost people. He came to find them, and He came to save them. Let's look real quickly at the change that comes by His grace. The first fruit of the Word... Uh, oops, i got to get farther here. The first fruit of the Word is a changed heart. All right? In Romans 10, 10, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We call this a conversion experience, where a person formerly did not know Christ or acknowledge Him, and now does. And the Bible says there's two places that's got to happen. Number one, you've got to acknowledge it in your heart, and number two, it's got to come out of your mouth. Why? Because we talk about what we believe in. We talk about what we love. Your mouth is just a reflection of what's going on in your heart. And by the way, if you say, well, I just do the silent treatment, don't say anything, you're still speaking. Okay? 64% of everything we communicate is nonverbal. So whether you say words or not, you're still communicating. right? And people around us are aware of that. Notice in this verse here, it's not just your head. Okay? Here's a big mistake. I know about that. Yep, I've heard that before. This is not just about content. This is not just about facts or ideas. But it is your heart affected. Are you moved by it? Do you engage with it? I know a lot of people um, who have read the Bible and aren't saved. Why? Because... Uh, it never penetrated their heart. And boy, let me tell you, once Jesus starts going after you on a heart level, that can mess you up in a very beautiful, good, weird kind of way. All right? I don't know. You're just looking at it like blank. You know what that's like, right? You ever have Jesus get in your grill? You ever have Jesus get too close to you? You ever like, you know, God's out there and you're here and he does his God things and you do your things and everything's beautiful? And then Jesus says, well, that's fine, but I'm going to jump in your grill. You ever have Jesus jump in your grill? I don't know what your reaction to it is, but mine? Okay. Now, I'm smart enough to know that's a really stupid way for an adult to act. And that's a junior high sound effect. So I should just be cool and go, hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. But inside, I'm doing what I just did over here. Because Jesus in my grill is very unsettling. Jesus in my grill, I don't know what to do with that kind of holiness. You ever run into that? Whoa! Uncork you right? And we call that salvation because it's penetrated my heart. The living word, and this is where they come together. The living word and the written word are like a double-edged sword, just wah, wah, okay? Just think Narnia. It's beautiful. 
okay? It, they come together where the written word speaks and the living word speaks, and they play tag team on you. I remember when I uh, first was coming in the process of coming to the Lord, and I picked up tracks, little chick tracks. Any of you remember those, right? And one thing about those things is they had a lot of scripture in them. And I didn't know any scripture, but I kept reading. Them. Who wrote those funky words? That's really intriguing thoughts. I'd, I've never read that stuff before. And you would think, being in church all my life, I would have recognized that that was scripture in the Bible. But it was in a tract, so it didn't look like a Bible. And so I thought, well, that must come from somewhere else. It shows you how blind you can be. And I just missed the whole thing. But they, they work together. And they, they weave together um, so that the, this new life is engaged. Uh, it's not just something you look at. It's in something you engage in. It's somebody you engage with on this. And, and they do it together. Uh, you just can't look at it. That's the point I'm trying to get this morning. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know the Lord, or you, if you're sitting here and you know the Lord well, but you're at a stalled spot, you just can't look at it and say, gee, I hope that changes. You've got to step into it. What's that like? Go back to your dating days, all right? Imagine, and some of you haven't dated yet. Okay, talk to your parents. Uh, believe it or not, they actually did that at one time. And um, go back to your dating days. Remember when you were interested in somebody? <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? And you could ho-ho <laughs> all you wanted. Did it change anything? No, somewhere in that process, no matter how drawn and attracted you are, nothing happens unless you took a step. What's that step? You either had to write a note, you had to make a call. Some of you remember that call? And you get the mom, right? Bad enough you're on an adrenaline hit, then you get the mom, right? Remember those days, right? But you had to take a step, you had to engage and find out if there was reality there. And the same thing is true with Jesus is on a salvation level, you've got to take a step and see if the reality is there. The second fruit of the, of the word is a changed heart is repentance. I want to use this verse in Ezekiel because it's not one that's often used, but I think it's a beautiful one. And it says this, uh, Ezekiel, the word of the Lord is coming through Ezekiel and God is speaking to the nation of Israel and they are a wreck and a disaster, and they are polluted and shamed, and I mean, rebellious and hardened, and just they're a, a disaster. All right, and and God says this to them: I will sprinkle you with clean. You ever felt dirty? And you ever have the Lord sprinkle clean water on you? I'll wash you. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. And from all your idols, all the things that are distractions that take you away from me, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, that's what happens when someone doesn't know Christ. They have a heart of stone. The Bible says they're spiritually dead. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ, you're spiritually dead. You have a heart of stone, but God says, I will take that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, it's alive. You will beat. Okay? Heart of stone is not very flexible. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to, to keep my laws. In Hebrews, it says it this way. 
says, for the word of God is living, living, it's alive. This morning while we're here, this is not a dead thing. We are talking about something that is very, very alive, more alive than we are. You can say, Steve, that's just a book. Then go ahead and read it if it's just a book. And see if it doesn't speak to you. You know, one of the reasons we stay away from it, because we already know what it says, and we don't want to change, so we won't read it, therefore we're not, uh, we're not held guilty because we were ignorant. No, no. We're responsible whether we read it or not. So therefore, it'd be a really good idea to read it and make the changes now before the king comes back. Oh, by the way, if I didn't include that, he is coming back. Did you know that? He's coming back. And he's coming to get those who know him. But this changed heart, uh, Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and active. This is in chapter 4 of Hebrews. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay, the idea there, think of all the things we know today that are even sharper than a double-edged sword. Think on that level. And here's what it says about it. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. If I were to ask you, where is that line where the division of your soul and spirit is? You couldn't find that, right? You don't know where it is. I've been at the deathbeds of many people. I still don't know where it is, but I know when it happens. And I know when they divide because the life goes out of a person. Been there many times. It says it divides even down to the joints and marrow. It judges what? This living active word judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what I depend on every Sunday. I don't know if you know this, but you probably should know this. Um, but I do not depend on my preaching to make change in us. Now you would say, well, that's pretty dumb. You're the pastor. You're supposed to affect change. I hope I affect change, but I do not depend on my preaching to do it. I depend on the active living Word of God, both His written Word and the Holy Spirit, that you have been in a conversation with Him all along and that He's been underlining and emphasizing and asking you to make change points on different things. And then somehow Sunday you walk in and somehow with my study and wherever we are in the Word and whatever topic it's up, God takes those two things and in an absolutely mysteriously and an unfathomable, amazingly way, brings those two things together and you go, oh, how did he know? Okay, well, I didn't know, but Jesus knew. He brought those things together. And when that happens, that is what it means to have God among us. And that's what we live for here, that he would be among us. Um, again, it cannot just affect your head. Even those of us who are Christian hear this. A lot of us read a lot of books and we go to a lot of forums and we go to a lot of conferences and we go to all that kind of stuff. And that could be death because it's just up here. It's not affecting our heart and how we're relating either to God or the other people. Um, the best picture I've got of this is uh, uh, those of you who've worked machinery know how this works, but uh, you can get some really, really rusted bolts, Right? And I don't, where I grew up, my dad would say, get that nut off that bolt. And I always wondered, what's he up to? This is a test. He's trying to, you know. And he was. And I would work and crank on the thing for all it's worth. And, and then my dad would say, look, there's an easier way to do it. And so he'd take the bolt and he'd put it in the vise, right? And then he would take a torch and he'd heat that up. And then once it got heated up, he'd let it cool down a little bit. And then he'd spray WD-40 on it. And I said, well, now what do we do? He says, nothing. Just sit. 
Because he knew that WD-40 with the heat, would, there would be little cracks and that WD-40 would expand and penetrate into the cracks. And then my dad, in great stroke of maestro wisdom, would then take the crescent wrench and just turn it like this. And see, son, that's how it's done. All right? You know what? In the same way, God uses his Holy Spirit to do that to us. You ever have him spray his Holy Spirit on you and just let it sit and penetrate and soak? And then when it comes to making the change, he just spins it and I'm with you. Where before you were so resistant, he couldn't have turned that off, that bolt, if he had tried because your heart was locked and you were stubborn and you dug your heels in and you said, no, I will not and you can't make me right? And God just goes, little heat, what's heat? Crisis. Little heat, and then little WD-40, little Holy Spirit, soak. I guess I'll go your way. Recognize that pattern? That's a beautiful pattern that he uses. Repentance um, is an important piece. Then the third fruit of the Spirit in the changed heart is sanctification. I use this passage and and we'll use it again. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself. So he's going to give us a picture of how he loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the... Notice how many times it talks about washing here? Water, cleansing. The whole activity of the word in the Bible is to cleanse us, to clean us up, to clean our hearts, clean our thoughts. Washing out water through the word and to present her, this is his church, to himself as a radiant church. A radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I'm not really a fashion czar, and I'll walk out sometimes and Pam will go, honey, you can't wear that, it's wrinkled. What? That. Oh. Okay, back in I go and, you know. Um, I'm not that aware of it, but my wife is very aware of it. Okay? Likewise, Most of the time, we're not aware of our wrinkles and stains. Jesus is very aware of it. And part of the process of the Word of God is to sanctify us, is to change us uh, into His Spirit. Um, um, Just like when a husband loves his wife in a right way, and I'm using that analogy because I'm the husband, right? Okay. Just like a husband loves his wife the right way, so God's love washes and cleanses us from all our sin and all our guilt and all our shame. It not only lines us up with his purposes, it lines us up with his heart. That's what it means to be in love with God and that we're cooperating with him. We start to care about what he cares about. We start to love what he loves. All right, let's wrap up this morning. So the fruit of the word. What's the fruit of the word when God goes at work? It's a receptive, inviting heart, right? I will send my word out and my word will not come back to me void. How does it come back to him? It comes back with receptive and inviting hearts. That's the fruit of what the word does. Jesus in uh, Revelation chapter 3 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That verse for uh, years was used uh, as an evangelistic uh, verse, evangelistic tool. But I want to point something out to you. That's in the book of Revelation, and it's in uh, a series of chapters, uh, verses two, uh, chapters 2 through 3. And those uh, letters are called what? The seven letters to the 
churches. Okay? Is this written to believers or non-believers? It's written to believers. All right? And I, I want us to think about that this morning as we close and wrap up. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I started looking at this eat part because I like food. Probably a little too much. All right? Got to trim down. But I like food and uh, I think it's good. And uh, I started to think about this verse in line of meals. Um, when you think about meals, how many meals do you eat in the course of a week? A month, a year. Now we're taking snacking and grazing out. Okay, that doesn't count. But we're just talking about meals. So you eat three meals a day. That means you eat uh, 21 meals a week. You eat 84 meals a month. You eat 1,008 meals a year. Now, I cannot tell you every meal that I have eaten uh, over this past year. Uh, I can tell you some of them were really good. I can remember some of them really well. Uh, some, uh, I can remember certain things that you know, went, oh yeah, I remember when we were with so-and-so and we ate, and I don't really remember the food, but I remember who I was hanging out with. Uh, but I can tell you this, if I hadn't eaten that 1,008 meals plus some snacking and grazing, I would not be here today. Right? Because without eating, I don't live. And that's the same kind of picture that God's going when it talks about salvation and it talks about repentance and talks about sanctification. We tend to think of those as one-time events. They're not. You don't just repent one time. You don't just... The uh, Bible says you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. All right? So you were saved, you are being saved presently, and you will be saved. It's talking all three tenses. Likewise, repentance is an ongoing thing. Likewise, sanctification, when you look at this circle and the fruit of the Spirit in your life, this is a very living, ongoing process to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to push out into those areas and to become like Jesus. Remember, we asked the question, uh, do I want to become like Jesus? Well, one of the ways you become like Jesus is hanging out with Him. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door, I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, notice that the latch is on the inside of the door. Jesus knocks, but he's not going to grab the door and rip it open and come crashing into your house and take over. He's a gentleman. He knocks. Will you open the door? Will it be for salvation? Will you open the door for repentance? Will you open the door for sanctification? And here's the thing. When we do that, we start to become a radiant church, and when we become a radiant church, God's presence is among us. And when God's presence is among us, both here and scattered, people start to take notice, and then we will come to where we're going next week. Because all of that is not designed for us. All of that is designed for people He hasn't found yet. Let's pray. Father, as we walk through this, um, it is really hard to put into human words, no less 35 minutes, the incredible mystery of Your Gospel. But in the places where it has made sense and in the places where it has connected with us and my friends this morning as we have talked and walked through this, and in the place where you've been having a dialogue, may you bring that connection point to life. Lord, we are looking for on the edge of our seat, anticipating a harvest through the next six months because of what you've taken us through as a church. And Lord, we are seeking you to manifest yourself 
uh, in us and also in those who don't yet know you. And I pray that you will prepare the table for that uh, before we even get to next week, that you'll set the table this week as we uh, engage with you and walk with you through the week. And ask that in your name. Amen.